We pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God said, called to him and said, from the midst of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he that is the Lord said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Think about this. In human history, God made Adam and Eve. He created them in one day, and they were created with purpose. And he had a relationship with them in the garden, male and female. They were naked and unashamed. And they had this fellowship with the Lord in the garden. Perfect human beings, superhumans, as we studied when we were in Genesis about a year ago. And then the fall was sin, and they were expelled from the garden. And then God had a covenant that he made with Noah to bring him through the flood. So Adam had a covenant and the sons of Adam for 1,500 years. Then Noah came through the flood, and God made a covenant with him. Then Noah passed away after the flood and transcended worlds, the primeval world, before the flood and after the flood. Then Abraham came along around uh, 2100 B.C., about 400 years after the flood, after the Ice Age, which is after the flood. And God called Abraham and revealed himself to Abraham. And so he revealed himself to Abraham as God Almighty, El Shaddai, the one true God. And he set aside this man, Abraham, which is even mentioned here. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So again, the covenant with one man, Abraham, the son of promise, Isaac. Isaac having his sons, Jacob and Esau, but Jacob is the son of promise. Jacob having the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel, and God changing Jacob's name to Israel, and now 400 years later. So in human history, there's essentially been three covenants, one with Adam, one with Noah, one with Abraham. And since we're told in the New Testament that everything with the Lord in the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. So like if you're over here and the train's going by the Surfliner, the Amtrak Surfliner, and you're down there by San Clemente, and you stand by the railroad tracks at churches or lowers and one of the surf spots, and the train goes by, it'll leave a shadow as it goes by. Now, the train's not hitting you. you don't, you're not hit by the substance, but the shadow goes by. So you, you see the shadow of the train, but it's not the actual train, not the, the fullness of the train. So we know in the Old Testament, everything is pointing to Jesus Christ, who's to come. Every covenant, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and the Mosaic Covenant with the children of Israel. They're progressive revelations, and they're all shadows of things to come, like the train going past you, pointing to the substance, which is Jesus, which is like really the train. So here is Moses. Think about this. As a human being, he understands God a certain way, that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's a descendant of them. And he's a shepherd. He's been shepherding for 40 years in the wilderness, watching his father-in-law's sheep. He just takes care of sheep every day. Bah, bah, bah. He's a shepherd. That's what shepherds do. So he takes care of sheep. And he's just doing his shepherd thing, and suddenly the burning bush. Now, this is a transcend- transcending of dimensions. So, Because if you and I light a tumbleweed in Palm Springs, it's going to burn. Okay, It's going to consume the bush. You and I start a, a, a campfire at the Huntington Beach fire rings, it's going to burn. When you're walking along in the back of Sinai and you see a bush burning and it's not consumed, 
that's supernatural. It's a different dimension. So God is transcending dimensions, and this is multi-dimensional right now. It's not time, space, and matter limited to that, but it's eternity at the same time. So the dimensions are sharing the same space. And remember, whenever eternity comes into time, it supersedes it. So it's like if we're here tonight, and we're in time, space, and matter, which we are, and the Lord showed up, and we got a burning bush here that's not burning, so that the ultimate dimension of eternity supersedes ours and takes place of it. That's why Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego could be in the fire and not be burned because the dimension of eternity came over that situation, you know, a thousand years after this event with Moses. Okay, so you need to understand that you get transcending dimensions. It's like when Jesus is glorified on the Mount, Mount of Glorification and things like that. You, you have multiple, like Peter walking on water. That's, a, that's, that's not in this dimension, so it's transcending. It's multidimensional. And this is multidimensional. So suddenly, here's Moses in eternity in his presence. God's in his presence. And God is speaking to him from the burning bush. Now, he knows God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is exactly how God introduces himself to him. This is a burning bush. But God reveals to him at the same time his character. This ground you stand on is holy ground. Take your sandals off. Now, we know in the Old Testament, this is the perpetual problem. And even today, with humanity, we are born in sin, and we're sinners. And sin is rebellion and darkness against God. But God is light, and him is no darkness at all. Holiness is God's perfect beauty. Everything that's virtuous, praiseworthy, honorable, glorious, that's the Lord. God is light, and him is no darkness at all. And there's no shadow of turnings with the Father of lights. So when we think about God coming in and revealing himself in this dimension to Moses at the burning bush, God's presence makes that ground holy. Now, Moses could have walked that same trail any other day with the sheep, and it's everyday ground. It's like the trails at San Onofre, Trail 3. It's just, it's just the trail. It is what it is. But on this day, as soon as the Lord comes in that place, it's a holy place. Eternity transcends it. So it's take your shoes off, and you're on holy ground. So that sense of his sinful nature is, he's conscious of it, and we have this situation of holy God, sinful man. And we know that we understand that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and men. We know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. That truth of the gospel that we need a mediator, that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved in Jesus Christ, it's demonstrated here because holy God, burning bush, sinful man, Moses, the lawgiver, you're on holy ground. Take your shoes off. God is holy. In fact, in the New Testament, we're told God is holy, and we need to be holy too. We're holy people. Holy means set apart. In righteousness, not self-righteousness or pride, but set apart in the things of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be set apart. So that's what we have there. We have that holiness where take off your sandals for you stand on holy ground. That's what we get here. And in this text, we see that the Lord has revealed himself as the angel of the Lord. Now, this is interesting because this phrase, the angel of the Lord, is used multiple times in the Old Testament. And we know in the New Testament, we're told that no one has seen God at any time, plus in the Old Testament, no one's seen God. So if God appears to somebody, they're not seeing the Father. They're seeing the Son. We're told in the New Testament that no one has ever seen the Father, but the only begotten of the Father, the Son, he has declared him. And what we need to understand as we're studying this text is that Jesus Christ appears in the Old Testament. These are called theophanies or Christophanies. And that's what this is right here. This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ appearing as the Son of God, in his pre-incarnate state before he came through the Virgin Mary as the Son of God, to Moses. He's speaking. Now, this is important because later on in the Gospels, when Jesus Christ says to the religious leaders in John chapter 8, he said, before Abraham, I am. 
They picked up stones to stone him because they considered it blasphemy because they understood that he was claiming to be God of the burning bush. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, the religious leaders took up stones to stone him when he said before Abraham, I am, because he claimed to be the one speaking here in the burning bush to Moses. And they considered that blasphemy. But of course, he is the son of God and they crucified him because he claimed to be God, the son of God. So this is Moses tending the flock God, kind of a prequel, because he's going to tend the big flock. He's, going to, he's tending at Jethro's sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. He's going to be tending God's sheep for 40 years in the wilderness, shortly, millions of people. God was prepping him. And the angel of the Lord is the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, in pre-incarnate state, appearing to... Now, there's angels, an angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, but when it's the angel of the Lord, it's the burning bush, that's Jesus. That's, that's Jesus. And you see this, like he's the commander of the Lord's army, appearing to Joshua, and Joshua bows down and worships him, and angels don't accept worship, so it can only be Jesus Christ. It's important to understand that theologically. So this is the Lord appearing to him at the burning bush. The bush is not consumed. And the Lord says to him, Moses, Moses. He gives him a double call, right? Like, you know, something the Lord goes, hey, Sam, yo, Hector, Rylan, yo, Joey, what's up? Like, not that the Lord would say that, but like, Joey, right? But it's, it's Moses, Moses. It's like double jeopardy. It's a double emphasis. We get this with Samuel, too, the boy. Samuel, Samuel. You get a double. Sometimes we need to hear, like, the double. We need a double. And Moses gets a double. Moses, Moses. And it's the voice of the Lord speaking to him. And he has the right response. Here I am. And that's the wisest thing you can say when you hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you. God's voice speaks to you through his word. He can speak to you through truth and worship songs people sharing the word of the Lord with you personally. And he might speak to you through events and circumstances which would be subject to his word and confirmed by his word. But you just know when God's speaking to you. You know, I wanted God to speak to me at the burning bush. In 1983, for my birthday, I got up at four in the morning when I was living there in Vista. And uh, I went on Highway 76 inland to where the 15 is, so you can picture it. I went toward Paula where the reservation, I guess they built a casino out there since then. It was a beautiful mountain. I said, you know, I need God to speak to me. You know, I believe in God raised Catholic. I need God to speak to me. I climbed that mountain. If you're ever northbound on the 15, coming from San Diego, going toward Marietta, and you're crossing the 76, look to the right, that mountain, I climbed that mountain at 4 in the morning. These orange groves down there, and I climbed the mountain. I was like, God, speak to me. Speak to me. I wanted a Moses experience, of course, because many of you older people can relate to this in the movie, The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's movie, you know, they're Charlton Heston, and he's Moses, and he's like, whoa, and it's like the burning bush. So for us baby boomers, we have a very clear visual, because what baby boomer didn't watch the Ten Commandments with uh, Charlton Heston, Cecil B. DeMille's classic movie? So I went up this mountain in 1983 for my birthday, so it would have been like my 23rd birthday or whatever, and, and I was like, God, speak to me. It was raining, too, so it was kind of like, oh, and I, had a, I, I even had a stick. Yeah. But uh, like God, speak to me, and you know, it didn't speak to me. I just sat on a rock and got wet, but I went down the mountain, and I went home to my mom's house in Vista where I lived. And, um, and you know what happened to me? Is I, I, was, I, I was looking at surf magazines where I'm on the cover and all these things back when we used to have surf magazines. And if you're really good, you're on the cover. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me. Like, I gave you your dream. You were in junior high and you dreamed of being a pro surfer. You wanted to make a living surfing. Like, I, you're on the cover of surfer and surfing and breakout. Like, you're the California kid. Like, you're a paid pro surfer. Your teacher said you'd never get paid to surf. Like, you're living your dream. And the Lord said, so the Lord spoke to me. Like, I went up the mountain to hear him speak like this. 
But when he said, look what I've done for you in your life. I gave you your dream. You're, you're born in Cleveland, Ohio. You're nothing. You're an average athlete. You know, my, my little league coach came to WG about two years ago, Max. And, uh, you know, I, I always thought I was a pretty good baseball player. I wasn't even an all-star, so that tells you everything you need to know. But Max came here to church. He, he'd heard me on the radio, so he came here. And he's, he's my little league coach. He's like, Max. Yeah, I was like, Max. You know, like uh, for Western Auto Little League and then um, for Pony League too. And I, I was even worse in Pony League. But, you know, he said, he goes, you know, I can never understand. He goes, you were a below-average baseball player. How you became one of the greatest servers of all time, I've never understood it. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Max. <laughs> I hadn't seen him in 35 years. You know, he's like, basically, he said, you're a really bad baseball player. How did you end up being so good? So God spoke to me on that birthday in 83 and said, I gave you your dream. I gave you your dream. So I'd, you look for God to speak to the top of a mountain or in a burning bush. He might. But, you know, you might just look at your life and look at your photo album. Look at your Instagram, look at your mom, look at your parents, look at your spouse, look at your children, your grandchildren. And that's all the speaking you need to hear from the Lord. Because God is good and God is light. And every blessing you have is from the Lord. He didn't just speak in the burning bush. In fact, the Bible tells us he speaks in the thunder. He speaks with a still small voice. He speaks in the lightning. He speaks in the earthquake. He can speak whatever decibel you need to hear. But don't limit him to a burning bush. This is how he spoke to Moses. But the fact is, he speaks. And when he's speaking to you... And he says, yo, Joey, Joey, like, you should say, here I am, Lord. Because, again, that's what happened eventually in my life in 1987. He called me, and that was it. That was the end of pro surfing. We're just going to serve the Lord, whole new life, no regrets. It's all been good. And it's holy ground. So when we come to serve the Lord and we respond to the Lord, we need to know that God is holy. And those who serve him must be holy. He didn't die on the cross to leave us in our sins in bondage to the devil, to sin, and the world system. Jesus Christ died on the cross to deliver us from our sins because sin is death and sin destroys. Our sin will destroy our life and our soul, our spirit. Our sin will destroy our marriage. Our sin will destroy our children and our children's children. Sin just perpetuates death. The wages of sin is death. Christ died on the cross to deliver us from our sins so whom the Son sets free is free indeed and we can be free from our sins to serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he does. It's a journey. It's progressive. It's a journey like I shared back in uh, chapter 1 and 2 a week ago. So now we read on in verse 7. Moses was afraid, and we should be. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means we should revere the Lord in a good way. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry, and because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So here, Moses has the encounter, the personal encounter with the Lord, supernaturally, the burning bush that doesn't burn, and He's, com- he's called to be available. Here I am. And now the Lord says, this is what I want to do with your life. And that's what happens when we give our life to the Lord. Our life is no longer our own. If anyone be in Christ or a new creation, all things have passed away, all things are new. Now, I was still Joey Brand in 1987 when I gave my life to Christ, but I'm a new creation, and I have new purpose and meaning in my life. My, it's not my life is no longer my own, but it's to serve the Lord. And he meets us where we're at to get us where he wants us to be and fulfill his purposes. And everything he does is good. I remember when I first got saved, someone said, God's going to make you quit surfing and go to Africa where no one surfs in the middle of Africa. I was like, there's no way God's going to do that to me. God would never make me quit surfing. Ten years later, he sent me to Vermont. In case you don't know your geography, there's no ocean in Vermont. There's a big lake that gets waves, but not that big. But that was a good thing. 
because surfing was like an idol in my life and surfing controlled my life. And I need to be set free from that so I'd be free to do whatever God had for me to do the rest of my life. In my mid-30s, I needed to surrender that completely to the Lord because that was a stronghold. Surfing is not a bad thing. It's neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It's, it's an enjoyable thing. If I wanted to surf today, I'd go surf. Well, actually, the beaches are closed, so I probably shouldn't, but I don't know. If I lived in Florida, I couldn't go surfing because I don't think you can surf in Florida today, but I think you can surf in Huntington Beach, but who even knows all this stay and stuff? So at any rate, as a whole, if I want to go surfing, I could go surfing, but that's not really what I, I'm about. I just I enjoy surfing, but it doesn't rule my life, and it's neither good nor bad. It's just something that you do. It's a recreation like golf or basketball or whatever, but like in my life, if anything, it keeps me from the Lord, then that's an idol in a high place, and I'm glad God sent me to Vermont for 14 months so that surfing didn't run my life because the Lord runs my life. And because he runs my life, that's a blessing to my marriage, being parents, being a parent, being grandparent, being a pastor. We don't want a pastor who's owned by surfing or golf or basketball or any other passion or pursuit, whether neither it's good nor bad, but if it supplants the place of the Lord and the calling of the Lord on his life, then that's not, we don't want that. We don't need cool pastors. We need pastors and leaders that are sold out to the Lord and we're going to serve him like Moses. When we're called, it's like a death sentence to our flesh and our pride to, to let go of what we can't keep to become that which we're meant to be and we can't lose, our eternal life in Christ. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it, but if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And that's what Moses has got to do in the Old Testament, in a shadow. It's like that Amtrak train. It's not the substance like in the New Testament for Peter and John and the apostles, but it's a shadow. It's, it's the same principle. Like, hey, you lead three million Jewish people in the wilderness, the Israelites who murmur and complain about everything, yeah, you're getting refined by the Lord, and Moses did. In the last 40 years, he became a lot more like Christ in his experiences. So he's going to lead them to the land flowing with milk and honey. He's, he's called to lead God's people to the promised land. Now, this land God promised to Abraham 400 years prior before he sent his people, the descendants, down to Egypt. It's all God's timing how he does stuff. But what he takes us from bondage in the world and brings us to liberty in Christ, it's an upgrade. It's not just an upgrade. That's, that's kind of a, an upgrade. like when you have to take this year's Hyundai and you get next year's Hyundai. You know, that's an upgrade. But like, it's more than an upgrade. It's a total transformation. Like bondage, freedom. Death, life. Darkness, light. Uh, grief, joy. You know, passing pleasures of sin, joy unspeakable. It's, they're not comparable. It's an upgrade. So Moses is called to lead God's people to the promised land. And he's got to take on the character of the Lord in doing so. To whom much is given, much is required. We pick it up in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. That's what God said. I mean, that's a pretty good promise, right? And this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say? Because remember, previously, who's El Shaddai? God Almighty. That's all they knew, the God of Abraham. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. The all-sufficient one, Yahweh, is what that means. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come 
you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to them, say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go three days' journey in the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the kingdom to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go out, you shall not go out empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. This segment of scripture has a couple key elements. Number one, God reveals that deeper understanding of who he is to Moses. So again, what I was talking about with Jesus earlier, Jesus said, I am, before Abraham, I am. And he took this title to himself. The famous phrase that we say, Yahweh, means I am that I am all sufficient one. Now, maybe when you think about your faith in Jesus Christ or giving your life to the Lord, you think like, well, okay, we came from God, but where did God come from? Now, that's a pretty basic question that a lot of people ask, especially skeptics, you know, like, but we all have to have an origin. There's only two origins. Either Big Bang, disorder makes order, which never happens any time in human history on this planet. You never get order out of chaos. Like the, like the coronavirus is not order, it's disorder. And it's not, you know, it's like, that's just, that's disorder. Like, we don't, entropy is moving toward death and disorder. That's a law, okay? And there's no proof of evolution. It's a, it's, it's a figmentation of people's minds who just reject God's, well, He's given them over to deranged minds because rejecting the truth of the gospel. God's given them over to deranged minds and they're under his wrath. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter one. God has created the universe with order and design and it's got absolute purpose. And God is outside of this and he's self-sustained. So when we think about origins, either we believe a big bang, which is what secular humanists who reject God and reject his standards and his truths over this planet, their worldview is humanistic, Marxist, communistic, and all those evils that we've seen on this planet for the last 200 years and what they produce. Globalists for total control, by the way, too. They're the same. They all think the same. That's what they do. They think the same. They want a universe without God. That's what they want. Karl Marx, these people. Their philosophies affect a lot of politics in America to this day, how people think. They don't mind murdering innocent babies because they don't see the value of their life. And there's people like me and you who think like me with a biblical worldview that those lives all matter and there is order and design. There's a purpose for every life. There's two contrasting worldviews. I believe they're created with purpose. In fact, we're going to see very shortly in chapter 4 that God says, who made the lame, the blind, the dumb, and whatnot? Is it not I? It was Down Syndrome Day just a few days ago and my good friend Luke Caldwell posted a picture of his four Down Syndrome kids he's adopted. And believe me, there's a purpose for every one of those lives. We don't ever want to play God. God made everything with order and design. And you will never understand how he is outside of this order, how he pre-exists in a whole other realm to create us in this realm. But it's true. So you got to decide. Big bang, we all get lucky with dumb luck, like throw the Legos all over the floor and see if the Legos put themselves together by random chance. Or a master designer made those Legos and put them together and made this universe. You have to decide. Now the earth is the perfect distance from the sun not to be torched or frozen. The earth is the perfect angle to function at its distance from the sun. The moon does exactly what it's supposed to do as it rotates the earth, okay? Um, the 36 elements that make up the air we breathe do exactly what it's supposed to do so we can breathe in all animal life. Have we found another planet that does that? We get secular humanists that, humanists that get excited when they think they see like an icicle on a distant planet because they want to believe that there's other life out there because they want to believe that we evolved. They, don't, they reject the divine order and design of this universe, so two worldviews. They've always been in conflict. As long as Cain and Abel have been in conflict. Vegetables or animal sacrifices. Faith or religion. 
It's the religion of secular humanism. And so we have to decide, do we come about by a big bang, random disorder, just gets lucky, mutation, 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 mutation. Really? Like, it just makes no sense whatsoever. And it's, it's unscientific. Or design and order, running according to order and design. With breaking down because of sin. Okay? So everything that you see that, like, seems odd or weird, that's a result of sin, like the virus, like COVID-19. That's healthy cells look a certain way, and COVID-19 looks a certain way, Right? So you just have to decide what, what worldview you want, what worldview you want. But God says, I am that I am. I am that I am. I'm Yahweh. He says, it's his universe. And he made you. He's the potter, you're the clay. Shall the clay say the thing you formed it? What are you doing? I am that I am. All sufficient. I'd lay on my bed as a kid in Quantico, Virginia, and I'd go to mass, and I'd go to catechism, and I got my first communion there in Quantico at the base chapel. And I think, okay, so God made me. Who made God? I would think that. And then I conclude, I can't answer that question. And you know, if you figure that out at seven, that's good. It'll save you a lot of grief in your life. And you just put in that file, I can't answer it. Because God says in Isaiah 55, as the heavens are above the, the earth, so are my thoughts and ways above you. Our finite minds cannot understand God's infinite, infinite being in purpose. But I am that I am. Is what he says. So take your shoes off. It's holy ground. It's a burning bush. Yahweh's sending you. I am that I am. And you can bow the knees. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in time or eternity. So you can be in the Lamb's book of life because you bow the knee now to Yahweh the great I am who sent his son Yeshua, Yeshua to redeem us on the cross. Or you can fight him with your false worldview and all the lies that you believe according to the Father of lies. Step into eternity and you will still bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God the Father before you're cast out into outer darkness. And that's the gospel. And that's the truth of God's word. He's the burning bush. I am that I am. You tell him, I am sent you. And I'm telling you, I am sent me to you and to this timeline. And the church is the voice of I am on the planet Earth. 24 time zones, the church of Jesus Christ preaching the gospel, we represent I am because he's called us and sent us to preach the gospel. That's the fullness of this now. I am that I am sent me. Well, you know, and God makes things straight because these people ripped the the Jewish people off for at least a couple generations, right? God says, you're going to plunder them. He's going to, it's his justice. You're going to take all their stuff. I'm going to set you up with what you need for your next journey. And he's going to give the promised land to his people. These other people occupying the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, God said that their iniquity is not yet full. But by the time Joshua brings these people into the promised land, those people are done. They're doomed. They chose sin. They chose darkness, a complete worldview devoid of God, and they're gone. And there's no descendants there. They're gone. The Jews, they're in Israel. They're on lockdown like us, but they're there and they're speaking Hebrew. Now we pick it up in chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, uh, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it by the tail. It became a rod. So it's a supernatural event. Again, everything's supernatural. It's transcending dimensions. It's a miracle. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. He took it out. Behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, uh, Put your hand in your bosom again. 
He dwelt as bosom, and behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Then it'll be that if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you should take water from the river, pour it on dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on dry land. These are supernatural miracles. This isn't hocus pocus, man. It's like some Vegas show. This is supernatural miracles. Verse 10. Then Moses said, Oh, my Lord, I, I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, actually, in the New Testament, we're told that he was great at speech and great of tongue. Stephen, when he's preaching, says that Moses was learned in the wisdom and great at speech. I guess we just don't know exactly who's right. Moses, because he's afraid, or the testimony of Stephen, looking back on Moses' life. Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with you, your mouth, and teach you what to say. So now, on this point... This text bothers some people, like somehow God makes mutated people or deformed people. That's not the case. So we need to understand that when God made Adam and Eve, he made them perfect and sinless. And there was nothing wrong in the DNA or the reproductive elements. In fact, it's amazing. God's designed one cell. And in that one cell was the technology and the information, millions of pieces of information in one cell that not only defined who you would become and I would become as each cell multiplied, But within that, one cell is the ability to reproduce more human beings. That's incredible. So in that one cell, there's Joey multiplying inside the womb as the cells, you know, multiply and I take on form. And that's why David said, you form me in my mother's womb and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It's incredible. But even so, within that one cell that was me at the point of conception is the capacity for me to produce children with my wife and the four children I have, and it goes on to my grandchildren. That's incredible. That's the design order God has. But now people say, well, how come someone's born blind or this or that? Well, for one, if you smoke weed when you're pregnant, it's a really bad idea. If you drink alcohol when you're pregnant, that's a really bad idea. If you smoke cigarettes when you're pregnant, that's a really, really bad idea. If you do crystal meth or cocaine or something like that when you're pregnant, you are just doing so much harm to the child in your womb. So for one, there's a lot of problems with a lot of kids and a lot of people because human beings do selfish, sinful things when they're pregnant. So let's make that clear right now. But that's sinful actions of this current generation affecting offspring. But then, you know, there are people that live a good life and they have a Down syndrome child, like Jeremy Camp's parents. Tom and Terry Camp, they love the Lord. They had their son, Josh. He's Down syndrome. Jeremy loves his brother. We all love Josh. Josh walks around at a pastor's conference telling everyone how much he loves him. Katrina's down there in Peru in Pichilemu. Katrina Anderson, she's an amazing girl. She comes to WG sometimes when they visit. And Hector's met her before. She's classic, man. She's, she's classic. She's an incredible girl. One on praising the Lord in two languages. And it's kind of her own language. She's got like a hybrid of Spanish and English. That thing that goes wrong with the Down syndrome, that would be overall a, a disconnect of the effects of sin on the universe. Now, we are told that sin affects the whole universe. The whole universe. So the whole universe is winding down. Even as it's expanding, it is winding down because we're told in Romans 8 that Adam's sin, that through Adam's sin entered the universe and death. So everything's dying. Stars are dying. Comets are dying. Asteroids are dying. The universe is dying. And so there are mutations in the animal kingdom, in human beings, that are the results. There are things that mutate. We have mutating cells. We have a virus that has a whole planet shut down. That's a mutation. That's sin. 
When Jesus creates a new heaven and a new earth in the book of Revelation, and there's no more tears of sorrow, there will be no viruses and no microscopic images that look like COVID-19. For it makes all things new. Now, when we think about the deaf, the dumb, the blind, and the lame, and handicapped people with various things, whatever it might be. Now, see, I grew up with two cousins that were blind. They were born premature, and they got too much oxygen in the 50s in incubation, and it blinded them. So that's why they're blind. And they're both amazing people. Kurt and Mark, excuse me, Kurt and Kate, married to Mark, are amazing people. Incredible lives they've lived and are living right now. God has a plan with that. God can take anything and transform that life. I'd rather be blind and physically handicapped and all these things that you think, like, well, what would it be like? You know, like I used to, I used, when I was a kid, I used to close my eyes and try to understand what it was like to be Kurt and Kate. And it just was the worst thing in my mind to think I, this was my life. I think, how, does, how do Kurt and Kate do this or do that? But they, were very, they are still very aware in all their senses. But like, if you think, like, oh, poor Kurt and Kate, they don't feel that way. They, they're very cognizant of all the, with all the other senses and how they read their environment and hearing heartbeats and hummingbirds and all that kind of stuff that you get when all the other senses. But if you like life without limbs and Nick Vujacic, you look at people like stuff like that, born deformed, it's like a half a foot and, and there he is and Nick Vujacic has more life and abundant life than most people ever live in the human experience. It's not what you have, it's what you do with it with the Lord. And if you don't have any limbs and you're yielding to the Lord like Nick Vujacic from Australia, life without limbs, then you're living a, a joyful, full life. But if you're the strongest man in the world and you think you're the center of the universe, you're not living life at all. You're not living life at all. Jesus comes to give you life, but there's a way that seems right to a man, then there by his death. So God here says, hey, now in the context, Moses is like, well, I can't speak, I can't, or whatever. He's like, he's like, who made the death, the, blind, the, the dumb and the blind and the lame? I did. Look, I got this. He makes donkeys talk. God can do whatever he wants. Save your excuses for like another time. When the burning bush is burning and not consuming, and God's speaking to you and saying, Moses, Moses, he said, I want to use you to deliver people. I want to use you to make a difference. I want to use you to bless people, to make the world a better place. Don't say, but suppose. Don't think of like, oh, but suppose they laugh at me. Suppose um, I can't finish college. Suppose I'll fail at this job or this. Listen, man, forget suppose. You know, the Bible is filled with suppose. Suppose what? It's like we saw with Jacob in the book of Genesis. Well, what if this and that? Hey, look, look. If he lives, he lives. If he dies, he dies. Like, you just got to, it's not what if, it's what is and who is, like we studied in Genesis. Well, suppose they don't believe me. Listen to me. Listen, I've given altar calls so many times where no one responds. You, you get used to it, you know? Like, <laughs> and then sometimes you give an invitation, and everyone responds. It's the Lord. I've given invitations where 500 people have responded to the gospel. Well, I'll be. And I've given invitations that I thought were like, man, I, ha- I had my A game. You know, it's like, and nobody responded. Suppose what? Just suppose you do what God's calling you to do with no excuses. Verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Look at Moses. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad. Uh, in his heart, and he shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So you shall be 
So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be a mouth as for you, for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take that rod in your hands with you, and you shall do signs. Look at Moses. Back to verse 1. But suppose, and then verse 10, uh, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. And then verse 13, forget the excuses. (laughs) Please just send someone else. Just look, okay, no more excuses. Just please send someone else. Yeah, sometimes the call of God is, is terrifying in its own way. You should have a fear. When God called Peter, Jesus called Peter, he was in the boat. And he just taught this sermon. And then he had him cast his nets and he pulled in the fish. And, and Peter just said, um, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. See, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, all eyes on Jesus. I will make you, his work in us, fishers of men, serving others. It's the same thing. Yeah, that's pretty gnarly to be all in with the Lord and fully serving him like this, but if he's calling you, what else would you do? You can live once. Who wants to miss the call of God? You don't want to miss the call of God. I don't want to miss the call of God. It hurts when people reject you. Yeah. Doesn't hurt that much, though. Eternity without God is going to hurt a whole lot more. Yeah. You just got to let it go. He said, take your rod, verse 17, and you'll do signs with the rod. So the rod is crucial. Like the rod in his hand is going to be supernatural. That rod is important. It's the flashpoint for faith and action and evidence. And whatever, who you are, that's that flashpoint. Who you are is God's going to use. You know, he takes your interests, your pursuits, your passions, your strengths, and he takes ownership of your rod, and then he uses it for his purposes, just like here for Moses. Verse 18, so Moses went and returned to Jethro's father-in-law and said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife, his sons, and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I've put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So here we read that God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And this is a, a mystery in the Bible. It comes up in the New Testament as well. I just say this, look, if God wants to harden Pharaoh's heart, that's his business. Just make sure that you, make, you do things in your life that you don't harden your heart for the Lord. God hardening Pharaoh's heart is his business. You softening your heart to the Lord is your business. Don't confuse the two. Verse 24, and it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Now, this is crazy. This verse gives people trouble too. So the Lord sought to kill Moses. Like, what? What What in the world is this all about? Then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So Moses is going to go lead the people of God and his own children are not circumcised. Now, remember, in the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision is the sign of the covenant for the males of the descendants of Abraham. So how can you lead people where you haven't gone? If you're going to show up and say, hey, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me, and I'm here now, and he's revealed himself now as the God of the burning bush, Yahweh, I am that I am, you need to follow me. They're going to be like, well, why would we follow you? Your kids aren't even circumcised. 
You haven't even obeyed the most basic thing of the covenant back in Genesis 17 that God said to Abraham and all of his offspring, right? Basically, this means get your house in order. Like, some people want to go out and serve the Lord in their own strength, and they don't have the most basic things in order. They don't have their marriage in order. They don't have their kids in order. They don't have their finances in order, their business practices, their witness. Listen, man. So the Bible says, let not a novice be in a position of leadership in the church. We want to grow, be seasoned, and proven. God met Moses where he was at, and he's like, hey, we're not taking another step farther until you set this straight, because you got to set this straight. And he did. Now, Zipporah's deal, I don't know. <laughs> Zipporah's deal, it's just like, I don't know what to say about Zipporah. I guess she didn't want to be a pastor's wife. Verse 27. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Aaron, his brother, went out to meet him and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And so the Lord, so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which had, who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs inside the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. Moses shows up back to Egypt. And here's Aaron with him. 40 years have gone by. Zipporah, the family's there. And they testify of what God has done. The burning bush, all that. The signs. And the people bow their heads and they worship. So it, it sounds good. Like sometimes when you hear the gospel, it's like, this is good news. Yeah, but some people think the gospel means you're not going to have a difficult day. So people follow Jesus just because it's going to make them like restore their marriage or restore their finances or help them quit drugs and it's a means to an end. That's never going to work. The Lord is the end. It's, it's about Jesus. And in serving Jesus, then all these other things fall into order. But some people think, like, I'm going to serve Jesus because he's going to fix my finances. Or I'm going to serve Jesus because my wife will not receive me back if I'm not a believer. Well, that, that's just never going to work. And the problem with the Jews, as they bow down right here, these Israelites, is that they like being delivered, but they don't like the process of refinement to make them who they're meant to be in the character of God in their deliverance. It's a journey, and we're going to see that. So, yes, we want good news that we're going to be delivered, but we need to realize there's a process in that deliverance, and too much is given, much is required, and there's a refinement. And, and so it's not, it's not the easy route, but it's the right route, serving the Lord, and it leads to life, and it leads to the kind of character that makes this world a better place and prepares you for faithful service and fruitful service in the kingdom of God in the next dimension.